You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin our proceedings here today by calling in the helping spirits to be with us. So I call out to our ancestors, to yours and mine, to all of those men and women who lived well and died well, who met the challenges of their time and bring to each of us all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. I call out to these ancestral helping spirits to be with us, to whisper in our ears, to guide us, to help us to not make the same mistakes that have been made for hundreds and hundreds of years, but to actually innovate, to change, to be inspired and do what needs to be done in our time, to actually be the medicine that the world is calling out of us and as these ancestors gathered around i reach out through all those humans all the way to those beings here on this planet life that was here long before anyone ever dreamt up a human and i call out to these energies that exist with us in every day i call out to these non-human ancestors to be with us as well to help us remember our true and unique nature And to bring that blessing that human beings are out through the way that we choose to live our life. And do so in a way that we understand our place in this great fabric of life. And so with all of these ancestors, human and non-human ancestors gathering around us here today, all of these helping spirits, we give great gratitude. Let us take a moment and gather ourselves now, calling ourselves from wherever we might be. And drawing that energy into our head. And with the next breath, drawing it down into our heart. And with the next breath down into our belly, let us take a moment and give gratitude to the earth for life, for this day, for the wonder of all that is, the beauty, the diversity, the challenges life holds for us, and the incredible adventure of our earth walk. And with gratitude in our heart pouring out for this and so much more, we reach down through all the layers of the earth, reaching as we go to the very center of the earth and anchor ourselves firmly there and connect into the center of the earth and draw in this energy that restores and renews and replenishes that which nourishes us that which rises up to become the abundance here on this planet and we draw this earth energy up drawing it up through all the layers of the earth and drawing it into our bodies and may we use this energy to understand how to be grounded in our body and in our time in the world and to do our work to know what we where we stand in our life and what we stand for and to build our sense of home and belonging in a way that is not simplistic not simply surrounding ourselves with people that look and think like we do but to build a sense of home that is strong in our own fundamental values and opens to those who are different than we are may we even set a place at our table from that who is the other and invite them in that we might be provoked through that which ensues to become the men and women that we are really meant to be and in this way may we come to understand connections within ourselves to the disparate parts of ourself and how to connect and interconnect and relate to the environment around us and to the invisible world around us and may we be blessed in this day with at least one moment of understanding our place in this great web of life 
And may we take our right relationship with ourself from that understanding. And as we feel into the great connections of all living things, let us draw our energy up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind and reach up and out the top of our head into the sky and whatever weather it holds for us here, out through the atmosphere and out into the cosmos and all the way up to the highest power of the universe and by whatever name we know this energy, whatever way we conceive of it, let us connect with it and allow it to connect with us and begin to draw it down, drawing it down through all the layers of the sky, into ourselves, into our day, into these proceedings. And in this way, we call in the essence energy of blessing. We call in the energy of protection and benevolence and devotion. We call in all the wisdom of the cosmos and the beneficence of this experience. We call it all in asking for inspiration and illumination, asking for the commitment of those who travel along the path with us. May we find the mentors we need and the champions for our causes, and may we be those mentors and champions where they are needed. We call all these energies in, drawing it into our head and our heart and our belly and send it down to the center of the earth. And in this way, we connect heaven and earth. We are one of the many places that these energies come together in that great oneness, that big love, that energy that birthed this entire experience of form into manifestation that we might be here to share it. And may this big love open the spirit of our heart. May it open the crucible of transformation that sits there in the heart. And may that crucible go to work here today. Call up the fiery passions of our belly that burn with the passion for why we are here. And call down the crystal clarity of the mind that allows us to make some sense out of how do I do this in this time in which I have been born. We call these energies together in the heart where they might dance a fiery tango. And in that dance of dynamic tension, may they give birth to the third and ever more sacred thing that great wondrous mystery of why we are here and may we find in that very same human heart the courage we need to do something in this day large or small to bring those gifts into manifestation in the world and i give great gratitude to all the spirit energies that gather around us and help us to do this in each day may what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things I want to give special thanks to those human beings who, through the generosity of their heart, make the donations that keep Why Shamanism now live, on the air, and in the archives, and available to anyone who can get online and get to those archives. So I have special thanks to Malama and William, to Sarah, Melissa, Sherwood, and all of you who have been able to donate financially to the show. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it moves you in the heart, even if it moves you to confusion or irritation or distraction, um, you've been moved in the heart. And I ask you to do this most fundamental of shamanic things and to allow that which moves your heart to motivate your actions in the world and to do something to help the show to grow. If you are not able to donate financially, please be creative and find something else that you can do. Bring the teachings into your shamanic journey circle. Uh, do it yourself. Email me. Tell me how it goes. Work with them. Wrestle with them. See if you can break it. See what happens and see what kind of interesting shows could come out of your own questions. Whatever it is that you do, I am grateful for it. Um, for those of you who, who do want to donate, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com. Click on the support button and donate any amount, large or small. It all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And if you're uncomfortable with that, you can always email me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org and I'll send you a regular address for a regular old check uh, so thank you everyone and I also like to give our guest today um, thanks for being here on the show thank you David for joining us 
My pleasure. So for those of you who don't know, Dr. David Kowalowski is a professor emeritus, a teacher, author, and shamanic healer. He has been trained by the Foundation for Shamanic Studies and indigenous shamans from many traditions around the globe on many continents. He has written articles and books on his shamanic work. Um, his work has been featured in the Journal of Contemporary Shamanism, the Journal of Shamanic Practice, Sacred Hoop, Journal of Transpersonal Psychology, Journal of Scientific Study of Religion, Review of Religious Research, Journal for Spiritual and Consciousness Studies, International Journey of Trans personal studies journal of church and state and elsewhere i can't imagine there is an elsewhere after that list david (laughs) he also speaks publicly on shamanic healing which is a really important thing for people who have that opportunity to do and he speaks not only about shamanic healing but about deep ecology plant spirit medicine developing your paranormal uh, mystical wildlife tracking and discovering your destiny based on his university courses conference papers and publications on ecology religion psychology and education so you can contact David at wildlife at blackfoot.net. And we are not live today, but I'm sure David would be happy to take your questions. Again, at wildlife at blackfoot.net. So, David, thank you again for joining us today. My pleasure. So now, what are you technically a professor in? Couldn't quite figure that out. Well, I've been all over the map uh, in social sciences and environmental studies and taught uh, courses in uh, psychology. And it would probably take too long, Christina, to tell you all of them. But I, people accuse me of being a Renaissance man, and I say thank you. So, Well, I don't think you get to become a professor emeritus by sending in your box tops. So, obviously, you've uh, put a lot of effort and work into becoming an educator and educating yourself. So, that means you also were like a nice, good, normal, straight guy. So, what happened? What was the pivotal moment that that brought you to shamanic work in addition to your academic work? Well, when I was a kid, I had a near-death experience. And as you probably know, a lot of shamans get uh, started on that, I wouldn't say career path, but that spiritual path uh, in that way. And uh, But that just sort of stayed dormant. I was too busy into careerism and building a resume, as you can tell. Uh, but then I guess about 20 years ago, strange things started to happen and really wild dreams and uh, apparitions and then I took a vision quest and uh, more magic happened so that uh, that was when I really got serious about the whole the whole enterprise okay so once you're getting serious about that enterprise then so then what brought in this focus of the psychopomp work into your shamanic work what was kind of the pivotal thing there Well, again, it goes back to the near-death experience, and it was such an intense experience. And uh, frankly, I was just totally freaked out because I was only like 11 years old, I guess. And uh, just trying to puzzle that out and what it was all about uh, uh, intrigued me. And then when I realized that I started reading about shamanism and I found out that one of the main tasks of shamans is to escort uh, <clears throat> discarnate souls into the to the other side, if that's the way I put it. 
Uh, and I said to myself, you know, I've been there, done that. <laughs> I've been watching my body from afar, and then I came back to life. Or that's the way I put it. And so I said, you know, I can do that. You know, uh, at least I know something about it. And people who haven't had that near-death experience, you know, haven't just may find it a lot harder. So I figured the gods or the universe, however you want to say, maybe prepared me way back when and then now it's bearing fruit so okay so since people might have actually missed that lovely definition of psychopomp you just offered could you just take a moment and just educate us so so what does psychopomp actually mean in general you know what does it mean to escort the dead um well it seems to me from my experience that most people have no problem transiting from this ordinary reality life into the beyond or the other side or through the light or and go on to their next adventure that's the way I put it because really it's just a journey and this ordinary reality life is just one leg of the journey and then when we go to the other side then we resume our soul's journey but what happens is some people die and they get trapped or stuck or earthbound uh, for a whole variety of reasons, and they can't move on. And the the picture I have after sort of getting together all these experiences is that the soul is fixated on looking down toward the earth to their old life instead of looking up to the light to the other side to their new life and so they're kind of stuck between lives is the way i like to put it and what the shaman does who does psychopomp work is to contact these discarnate souls and helps them work out their psycho-spiritual dilemmas and that's the big <laughs> that's the big journey adventure of the shaman psychopomp okay and then so they can, oh, sorry, then they can turn around turn i can Basically, it's turning them from looking down to their old earth life and uh, doing, a, doing a 180 with them to get them to look to their new life and bring them up to the, to the light and through the light and uh, to their next adventure. But I keep saying I, and I better check myself right now, because the actual fact, Christina, is that the spirit helpers do all the work. Sometimes I think I'm just along for the ride, so I better give my spirit helpers, you know, ninety percent of the credit because they are total geniuses in uh, figuring this out. And I don't, Christina, I don't want to tell you how many times I was just plain stuck. I had no clue what to do, and I just yell out help, and they came to the rescue. And it's just that is probably the most amazing uh, part of the work is watching these spirit helpers do their magic well now some people would ask hearing that why can't the spirits just do it without you i mean obviously <laughs> so what what is what is your sense of what it is that you do bring to the mix uh frankly christine i don't have a clue it's just, <laughs> uh, here's, here's what i've come up with it's for my training and that sounds self-centered but I've come back from many a psychopomp journey saying, you know, this was really for me, not just for the discarnate soul. It's part of my learning journey, right? So 
And as a matter of fact, I remember uh, one of Michael Harner's questions to his class in the uh, foundation three-year program. He said, I don't want to misquote him, but it was something to the effect, why are shamans even necessary? And here he is making his career teaching shamans. And he, you know, he asks, well, why are we even necessary when they can do it themselves? And that's, I don't think we really got good answers. So I, the only answer I can come up with is that it's for our learning. It's for our enlightenment. Uh, it's part of our journey. And so if you look at the big picture, like a big crossword puzzle, uh, we are part of the psychopomp enlightenment process. In other words, we are getting enlightened, not just the discarnate soul that we help. Now, some people would also take that a step further and ask, you know, why can't God just do this? You know, we've got these people that are stuck. Why can't God just reach down and drag them over? Right. And uh, that's the big mystery. Again, that's... one thing about shamanism is that the deeper you go into the big mystery, the more mysterious it gets. So that's, that's about the only thing I can say about that. Okay, so what's your sense after doing um, this work? What's your sense about um, why it's a problem for the dead to hang around the living? Like, why can't we just leave these dead people here? Uh, that's a good question, um, before I start, could I, I'd like to um, maybe give a few precautions before people jump into this work. Would that be okay? Sure. Yeah. Um, you know, we're dealing with ghosts here, and we're dealing with some really powerful energy sometime, and we're dealing with people who are confused and have their own agenda. So one thing that uh, a lot of my teachers have said is that you really just, you know, you don't get your, you know, your, your quickie workshop, you know, in shamanism over a weekend and then go out and expect to do psychopomp work. You, it really takes a lot of training uh, in not just psychopomp work, but the shamanic journey in itself uh, to get really experienced so that you can uh, tell ordinary reality from non-ordinary reality very clearly. Um, you need to be psychologically grounded. Um, you have to have your ordinary reality life in order, <laughs> right? Uh, this is not job. This is not a job for people who are psychologically unstable or anything like that. And really, the most important part of uh, when all that is said is that you really need a really close relationship with your spirit helpers. Uh, because like I said, not only do you get stuck, but you can get, well, you can get frustrated and you can just have your own psychological issues uh, that may pop up even regardless of how much training or, or work you've done psycho-spiritually on your own soul. But they can really come to the aid. And one thing you have to do is be very unself-centered and say, look, I just don't know. You have to be very humble in this work and just say, spirit helpers, you know, it's up to you. Now I'm, I'm stuck. So uh, with all those precautions, then it's uh, really, a, in fact, a delightful, delightful practice. But I think those, those precautions people need to take really seriously. Well, it's part of what I like about how you talk about the psychopomp work is that you, you from my perspective, you have a good um, 
balance of understanding what's really simple about it. I mean, it's a it's a really simple com concept, and what's challenging about it versus coming in with a whole lot of baggage and story about it and bringing in the drama, which means you completely are unable to deal with the actual drama you might find there. So I really right. appreciate your approach. Right. Yeah, yeah. there's like psychodrama, not mine. Right, exactly. <laughs> you, know, you, you should have should have taken care of that a long time ago. Okay, so why do you think, why do we need, I mean, the, to, to, to not have the living hanging around the dead is one of the fundamental shamanic principles for good community living. So what's your sense from a you know, contemporary perspective about why we need psychopomps? What, you know, why is it important to get the dead to not be hanging around the living? Right. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. But, you know, if you study shamanism cross-culturally, uh, there's really very few universals. I mean, you can get maybe 80% of the cultures saying something and 20% don't. Uh, but when it comes to ghosts hanging around the living, it's almost, I, it seems to me like 99% of the cultures say, no, we want these people to be happy. <laughs> we don't want them hanging around uh, dissatisfied. So uh, it, it, I was really shocked with that because we sort of, well, I guess because we're so bogged down in materialistic concerns, we don't think about the ghosts that much, but they can have a real effect in, in ordinary reality because they are energies, right? And mm-hmm. they're not, and they are not, uh, carrying this heavy material body around so they are you know fast and loose you know they can be so really we're dealing with some powers here that we need to be conscious of even though they haven't moved on to their next adventures they can cause some uh cause some havoc but really uh, the first uh, order of business is the discarnate soul who's hanging around and they're suffering right so why do it? The first thing that comes to my mind, since I had that near-death experience and was so freaked out, that these people are really crying for help. So uh, it's really uh, relieving suffering. That's of the discarnate soul. Again, I remember Michael Harner saying that really psychopomp work is psychotherapy for the dead. So um, just uh, to relieve that suffering of these people, that's that's the first order of business. But then there's there's other effects. For example, uh, the survivors may be haunted by this discarnate soul who wants to hang around, who hasn't quite gotten over his ordinary reality life and realized he's dead or she's dead. Uh, so they can cause uh, a, a lengthening of closure. Uh, for the survivors, if they're constantly appearing as uh, apparitions to survivors of the deceased, or the uh, the deceased are giving them phone calls from the dead, which is a very common uh, manifestation. Uh, so the psychopomp, by moving this spirit on, is actually bringing closure to the survivors. I don't. Did I make myself clear on that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. And then, of course, some of the less than exemplary spirits will haunt and possess, haunt places, possess people. And um, that is uh, 
that's not a fun experience for anybody. If uh, you've talked to anyone who's done uh, uh, deep possession work or um, uh, de-hauntings of places, that can be a real, real challenge. So, especially for the people who live there, because they're entailing psychological costs from this haunting spirit. They're entailing social costs. Uh, marriages can get really strained. Uh, Parent-child relationships can get strained. Uh, kids may be taken to psychiatrists uh, uh, needlessly. Uh, because of uh, what they're experiencing from this spirit energy. And uh, so there are a lot of uh, beneficiaries besides the uh, discarnate soul. And, uh, of course, the, the I like to put it in terms of the wider public, too, because, um, uh, for example, hospitals are a notorious place where uh, spirits get hurt, especially after violent deaths. And so um, uh, they can disrupt uh, uh, hospital procedures. Uh, uh, they can affect uh, electromagnetic uh, uh, appliances. They can create all kinds of havoc. Uh, so, and uh, that's, hospitals are a place where uh, possessions, I think, are more common than, than people may realize because you have these newly dead spirits who just died in the hospital, and then you have the the patients who are really weak in all sorts of ways, uh, psychologically, physically, who may be very open and vulnerable to possession. So it's kind of a two-way street, so that's not a nice thing to have happen. So the more psychopaths we have to move these people on, the less havoc we... You know, I, I just kind of wonder sometimes how much of the havoc we read in the daily newspaper or online or in the nightly news is just due to, you know, hosts of ghosts hanging around. Uh, for example, and also there's haunted highways. People get in car crashes or uh, uh, such kinds of accidents, and they hang around the highway, and they appear to drivers and cause accidents. And so, <laughs> you know, I don't want to stretch this too far because, you know, kind of hard to get empirical evidence on this. from a scientific point of view, but gosh, you know, uh, these things happen, and uh, the literature of this is just incredible. I was just amazed at how much evidence there is out there, but it's all kind of dismissed as hokey-pokey or, you know, sensationalism or you know, you're seeing imaginary friends or, you know, but of course, all shamans have to deal with that anyway. But um, yeah, it's for real. So it sounds like one of the places to begin. I think that's really important is to have someone make an accurate diagnosis of what is going on. Um, so if there are uh, ghosts present, that the ghosts can be dealt with, versus, as you said, unnecessary mental health care or, or you know other ways that the living get stressed and try to deal with their problems um, that don't involve considering that ghosts might be in the mix. Yeah. Well, okay. I'm sure, yeah, I'm sure you're aware of uh, a lot of the paranormal shows on TV, the ghost hunters, and, and all, the, all the equipment they're using is, is 
pretty fascinating. Of course, we can disagree with how they treat the ghosts. I mean, they yell at them and curse at them, and you know, that's pretty crazy and you know, unconscionable. Uh, but still, they are bringing the public into awareness, and they are getting some documentation in terms of images and uh, sounds. Uh, it's, there's a whole field called instrumental transcommunication, <clears throat> uh, dealing with all kinds of really sophisticated technology to try to, you know, determine is there a ghost in this house or not, for example. And uh, I'm a little, you know, I'm just, I'm more interested in shamanism than ghost technology, but some of these people are doing good work, and, you know, we have, I think as shamans we need to at least take a look at that literature and be familiar with it. Mm -hmm. Sure. And kind of my, well, one of my dreams is to, you know, marry this technology with the shamanic technology. And, uh, you know, I think every one of these paranormal teams that are called in by people who are having really, really serious problems, you know, I really think somewhere along the line that a shaman should come in and at least, you know, have them, you know, stress that these ghosts should be treated with respect, for God's sakes. You know, that would be a good place to start. Um, But also to... You know, work with them. I think it could be a really powerful combo, but um, I haven't seen that yet. They do call in what they call psychic mediums, but, you know, I don't know how effective they are or anything like that. But, I mean, this is kind of thing that I think paranormal psychologists should be interested in. And I know a few people are working on that, but we have a long way to go. So let's... let's um Let's shift into talking about, through your experience, what do you think or what have you discovered are really the main reasons that people get bound here? Like, what are the reasons that, what are the things that get us stuck here when we die? Okay. Um, well, I I look through all my, I always, I always journal uh, my journeys. And... So I was curious about that, and so being a trained social scientist, I got my statistical toolbox out and just did some basic frequency distributions of uh, why people do get stuck. And and uh, I was going into this, you know, thinking that ghosts were all nasty and uh, wanted to cause a lot of pain and suffering with people and possess people and all this. And really, uh, about half of the journeys I found were for reasons of, well, I'd just call it, uh, I'd just call it affection. In other words, they were emotionally uh, tied in a good way to something in their former life. And a lot of this a lot of the cases were uh, people that died a violent death uh, as a family, say in a plane crash or a train wreck or something, and they got separated from their, the family got separated. So you have a mother looking for a child or a child looking for a mother or uh, 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 a lot of uh, reunions I had to uh, carry out to try to find the, either to, just to find out for the deceased person if 
the person they were worried about is alive or dead, because sometimes they didn't know. Can you they think of stuck. a story, uh, just a, uh, just of an actual psychopomping that you did where this was the case? Do you want to just tell it? Uh, let's see. Um, uh, uh, well, I can give you a pretty sort of a generic one. Is when a mother and a child are involved in an accident and they get separated, and uh, the mother is looking for the child. But in a case, yeah, the a good case was in a. Um, was a case dealing with the Indonesian tsunami, mm-hmm. and uh, you know thousands of people got killed uh, from in that event. And uh, uh, there was a mother who died, and but the child was still living, and she was wanting to know where her child was. And so I had no idea where her child was. I mean, I I looked around, but I couldn't couldn't find the child uh, and um, uh, so I asked my spirit helpers and and as a matter of fact they took me to Australia for God's sake <laughs> and it turned out that the child had been adopted and uh, somehow as, as with, uh, by uh, an Australian couple and uh, so then I went back and uh, told the mother what happened to the child and she said well i want to know if my child's all right which is a fair you know why should she believe me <laughs> right so then my spirit helpers escorted her to australia and we saw the uh, we saw the child playing i believe it was this was a while back so details may be a little fuzzy but you know she she saw that the child was all right and so then she was ready to move on so that kind of a reunion Either with deceased uh, soul to with deceased soul or deceased soul with a living person. It was very common. A lot of reunions. I I felt like I you know should hang out a shingle. You know I reunite uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. deceased people with with other people, and that's really a moving and kind of a an interesting uh, kind of case because it's not dealing with these people who are in despair or. You know, want revenge on someone who's still alive. I mean, it's really, it's, it comes from love. So, you know, it's, it's a very complicated picture. You never quite know what to expect. So, Well, know, and while, kind of- while that mother is um, stuck, you know, she's also generating energy around one of the greatest fears, of course, which is to lose your child and not be able to find it. And so that energy is affecting all the humans, all the living humans around her, and and so it, it, it creates a you know a problematic energy until her her terror basically is is made peaceful again. You know she gets to see her child's okay, and she's like, great, okay, David, let's go. <laughs> you know, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. I never thought of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, and then another was uh, some kind of fixation on a on a cause that the person had been involved in during their life, uh, say uh, some kind of a political cause, or uh, there were a lot of uh, people who had been killed by dictators who uh, assassinated, for example, journalists or human rights workers or students or whatever. And uh, these people who were killed are still, well, they had a violent death, so they're, you know, some still think they're alive, but even if they're 
uh, realize they're alive, they want to continue the struggle in the afterlife. And, you know, that's pretty hard to do, <laughs> right? But they're still so, well, I guess, ideologically committed to this struggle that they're involved in that they just can't turn, like they say, do that 180 to the, to the other side and move on. And uh, so that's kind of tricky to try to convince them to, you know, maybe you can do better work if you go into the afterlife, you know. Have you ever thought of that? And some of them say, well, maybe I haven't been having a lot of luck here <laughs> as a ghost, you know. So that, it's kind of funny sometimes, but... Well, right, because we don't really understand the role of being an ancestral helping spirit and how much we can benefit the living in a, in a, as a proper helping spirit on the other side versus hanging around here as a ghost and trying to influence the situation. Oh, right. And one, one thing that uh, always amazed me was how many times coming through the light into this middle world or trapped world was how many times... Uh, ancestors, exactly like you said, ancestor spirits would come and say, you know, we're here and we're waiting for you. Come on, let's go. You know? mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I just thank them for that. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so that sometimes, a lot of times it's ancestor spirits, but it's also it's colleagues. For example, at one case where I was a journalist who wanted to keep um, researching Mexican drug lords and they assassinated him and yeah, he wanted to continue the struggle, but, you know, and, and I was having no luck at all. And But all of a sudden, these two journalists stepped through the light, and they said, hey, come on, you know, you can do better work here, and they just helped him. Mm-hmm. So it's, it, it is ancestor spirit, but it's also colleagues. Uh, it's also fellow villagers make, uh, that the deceased know very well. And these people, I call it, you know, you can call it spirit cred, right? like street cred. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they know them better than they know me. Mm-hmm. So what are and some of the so, other reasons that people get stuck? Well, you know, I've given you, you know, what I call the, the affective reasons. And there are the, you know, the really psychologically problematic reasons. Like one of the, one of the most common is despair. And I've thought a lot about this because... Uh, well, I was surprised how many of the souls were in despair. Uh, but, you know, do we, you know, maybe you know more psychology than I do, but, you know, I, I studied psychology and despair wasn't even on the radar. Hmm. You know, I, I guess they figured it was some kind of spiritual problem and not a psychological problem or an existential problem and they didn't have to deal with it. Or maybe they just tucked it away under all the symptoms of depression. You know, oh, well, you're just depressed. Well, no, despair is something else. It's, it's, it's an existential crisis. It's like I have nothing to, to live for, and, you know, there's, because there's nothing after death, and that's the end of it all. And people die, and then they realize there is an after all, and now, now they're really confused. So, uh, But then when you tell them, well, there's a better life, and, you know, if they've been in despair their whole normal uh, everyday life, then why would they believe there's a better place? So um, that, that was pretty common, and I, you know, we, I, I, we need to deal more with that existential crisis and look at what it may have to do with things like drug abuse and this kind of thing. You mean while we're living? Uh, exactly, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. And so yeah. is that – are those psychopomp situations a situation where you really have to lean heavily into your helping spirits and what they can offer a person? Right, right. Um, well, one of the interesting things with despair was how many uh, of the souls uh, you know, got disgusted with bureaucratic religion, whether it was uh, Islam or Christianity. You know, it, did, it really didn't matter, but they had put all their faith in uh, in this divinity was going to make their life just hunky dory and everything, you know. Because essentially, there's this bitterness against false promises, and either these these false promises didn't pan out, and so when they died, they were in despair and just said, "Well, you know, to heck with it." Or, <coughs> excuse me, it did. Uh, they they uh, were told. They believed that there was no afterlife, and then they found themselves in an afterlife, and then they were really confused. Uh, so, uh, you know, this is where the, the ghosts that come, or the spirits that come through the light and say, well, there is an afterlife, you know, I can prove it, here I am, right? So, uh, it's... It, a lot of it is just dealing with confusion and uh, clearing up things or issues that they've been struggling with or given up on in their ordinary life. And uh, another motive is revenge, uh, especially people who have died at the hands of another. Um, I mentioned some of the uh, political assassinations of uh, ghosts who had been assassinated and they wanted to get revenge against the, you know, usually some kind of dictator who, who did that, or um, a family member uh, uh, who killed them or something like that. So uh, you, you can usually use logic in, a, in something like that when you can just say, well, is that going to make the world any better? And, you know, they, usually they're so... Um, in passion with this that they really don't think through. So a lot of times you can use logic and and just say, you know, do you really think you can pull this off? You know, do you you know, do you have enough power and energy to do this? And and um, is that going to make you a better person? I mean, you can use some pretty good arguments sometimes to turn the the revengeful around. So. Well, especially because they've been dead for a while and have seen how somewhat ineffective they are now that they're dead <laughs> in, in affecting exactly. the physical world. Yeah, yeah, that's funny you mention that because uh, a lot of times the people are confused. They don't think they're dead. And that was a surprising number of people, or a surprising number of discarnate souls. They really thought they were still alive. And they're trying to, you know, I don't mean to make light of it, but they were trying to get back in their body and getting really frustrated. And... Um, so, um, uh, you know, you really, uh, that's where you call in your spirit helpers to, you know, to get you out of that jam because they will keep trying and trying to get back in their body. But uh, Well, and it seems this kind of plays into the, the challenge that we have as practitioners of things of the soul and the spirit is just people don't have any useful education around death at all <laughs> they just have no idea what to do when they die right uh, you know, I remember in a in a I had a great philosophy class and I thought 
when I went into the course, I thought, boy, I'm going to find out the meaning of life. And it turned out the professor on the first day said, we're going to talk the whole semester about death. And I said, whoa, <laughs> what's the meaning of life? <laughs> right? But it was one of the best courses I ever took because, uh, you know, just by focusing on that, you realize, you know, how you can waste your life and how you can mess your life up. And, uh, you know, it, it just puts your whole life in perspective. And there's so many benefits from uh, learning about death and, you know, I mean, there's a, an amazing amount that just psychopomps can teach us about death. You know, one well, thing what, I like. To, yeah, what have you I, learned from the dead? What have you learned from the dead working with them? Um, uh, I mean, just we haven't really you haven't really said this yet, but you know, basically, you go to situations where there's a high probability of dead people being there that might need your help, and so you've done quite a bit of psychopomp work. So, what have you learned about life from the dead? Well, one thing I think about is. Uh, you know, on this shamanic path, you bump into Buddhism a lot, and one of their main teachings is non-attachment. And one thing that keeps, or, you know, a generic thing that keeps people earthbound is just being too attached to everything and taking every, you know, all these material things too seriously. Um, there is one case that I, I really, really like to reflect on and it was this lady who died i forget what the cause was but she had and had this really wonderful you know upper middle class life with all the material goods and everything and when i when i saw her she was just lying on the ground and she could barely get up and i said you know i asked my spirit what's wrong and and the spirit over said well she's carrying around all her old possessions <laughs> And so I, I told that to her, I said, do you think maybe you're feeling so heavy that because you're dragging around all these, you know, material possessions? And you know, well, maybe, you know, <laughs> she didn't want to give them up. I said, well, maybe if you, you could feel a little better if you just dropped like a quarter of this stuff. Just try it out. And it was amazing because as soon as she did that, she started floating up a little bit from the ground. And I said, well, if that, does that make you feel better? And she said, well, yeah. And so finally we got rid of all of it, and she just floated up to, uh, to the light. So uh, there's just being not attached, not taking all this junk and all these uh, concerns and, you know, the, the faucet doesn't work this morning. You know, this is not really a big deal when it comes to the entire immortal soul's journey, you know? So, uh, just just detaching from a lot of the stuff that you really, you know, bog you down. One of my best teachers was Elena Avila, and I don't know if you're familiar with her. I remember in one of her trainings, she, she kept saying, I cling to nothing. I cling to nothing. She had a special gesture to, uh, to ceremonialize that. And I, that's always stuck in my mind, especially during this psychopomp work, is just don't cling to things. You know, be passionate about things, but don't cling to them. But we're not even taught that, you know. We're saying, well, you got to have this stuff to survive. you got to hang on really tight, you know. And, but it doesn't serve the soul well. That's, that's all I can say about that. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, um, 
also just taking care of your psycho-spiritual dilemmas now so you won't be having to deal with them later. Um, I think it's called soul tending. Um, <laughs> one of my journeys, I was thinking, you know, take care of your hang-ups now so they don't hang you up later after death. Yeah. And so, um, you know, do that deep soul work. You know, in, in my shenanigans training, I more and more um, come around to the notion that you should really start with deep soul work and, you know, leave a lot of the practices uh, till later until people really get their their own psycho-spiritual act together. And that, that's tough because people don't want to deal with those issues. They, you know, like the pomp and circumstance and the bells and whistles of shamanism and the, you know, all the magic that I'm sure you've experienced. And those are all nice, but they're, you know, to really do good work, I think you have to dig deep into your own soul. Oh, I'm there with you on that. It's been the greatest challenge of getting people into the cycle work that I teach, which is all about the deep soul work, is everybody wants to become a shaman in 18 months, you know. And, <laughs> you know, without any understanding that, you know, shamanic healing forms are easy to learn. They're unbelievably mm-hmm. hard to do well. You know, and it really mm-hmm. requires... Um, other training actually for us to learn to do it well but anyway um, so back to your any other important things you think you've learned from the dead you have we have non-attachment and and sorting out your psycho spiritual baggage now <laughs> while you still can while you still have free will to do it you know? right yeah well you know uh, a lot of shamans came to shamanism from uh, the bureaucratic religions that they were dissatisfied with but they do have this sense of ethics and uh, don't take revenge, you know, that's not good. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, some of, just some of the old-fashioned values that, uh, you know, probably you, I know I was in, in my Catholic school, you know, don't dump all that stuff. You know, that's that's one thing I learned. I'm, I'm coming to, to appreciate and separate the good stuff from the the other stuff, you know, and uh, the, the values, and because... You know, if you don't uh, cultivate those basic values of respect and uh, kindness, you know, if, um, uh, if you don't think about the afterlife, I and mean, one thing religions do get us to do is to think about the afterlife, you know, whether we agree with it or not. But uh, just don't dump uh, everything, you know. I like to think just be an eclectic and, you know, if it works, I mean, shamanism is all about does it work, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, Alberto Viola always is saying that. You know, does it grow corn? <laughs> you know, if you want to be a shaman, can you grow corn? And I, I've always appreciated that piece of wisdom. Um, so, uh, so David, we've talked about um, kind of who gets stuck, why people get stuck. Um, kind of ways of maybe helping them get unstuck, but it. Are there particular places that ghosts tend to hang out? Is there kind of a where for psychopomp work? Uh-huh. Um, well, I mentioned hospitals as uh, uh-huh. as a place for the reason that you have these powerful energies that have just died, and they, you know, a lot of them died suddenly and don't think they're dead or realize they're dead and don't want to be dead and want to get back into a body. Um, and then on the other hand, you have the 
the patient who is weak and psychologically compromised and uh, maybe not even fully quite all there, maybe in a coma or some kind of lost consciousness. So, you know, hospitals are, we really need to take take a look at uh, what's going on there in terms of psychopomp work. Uh, uh, old hotels are notorious uh, for uh, for harboring ghosts. I remember driving through Massachusetts once and uh, just stopping at a small hotel, and there's the the lady on the hotel you know, at the desk said, "Well, we only have one room left, uh, but it's haunted." <laughs> so I said, "Well, really?" And she said, "You want it?" And I said. Where's the key? <laughs> so I, because I had been a ghost once, and, you know, I thought it'd be great to meet another one, but, you know, I probably, most people might not want to do that. But uh, if you think about it, old hotels uh, have a lot of people, you know, thousands of people going through them every year, you know, and if they've been around 100 years, you know, just do the math. A lot of people die in hotels, right? And some of them don't want to die in hotels, you know, they don't want to die, period. And so they're confused or lost. And they're away from home, too, which another lesson I learned was that uh, the more we can get people to die in their homes, and we're in a movement that's starting that, uh, you know, way of dealing with dying people. I think I just really encourage that, too, because the psychopomp work, uh, if people you know, are in hospitals and die, you know, they may not be all there and, and not even uh, think of themselves in a strange place, if, uh, especially in, if, if they came in an emergency room and, you know, they don't know where they are. And so uh, the more that we can get people to, you know, be in familiar places where, in familiar places to die, that, that would help a lot to, avoid this getting stuck so anything else in any other place in particular you think that um is kind of aware where ghosts congregate or where the kind of deaths happen that tend to create people that end up getting stuck oh yeah any accident site or uh, for example the world trade center a lot of shamans uh, I won't say a lot of shamans, but some uh, went there or did long-distance psychopomp work. And there's a, really a lot of reports of hauntings uh, at, uh, around that site, especially around bars. Uh, uh, bars and uh, well, old speakeasies, especially if they were associated with gangland uh, uh, during the Prohibition era. Um, any addict, any places where addicts uh, have congregated and died, possibly crack houses, because uh, some addicts uh, keep their addictions after death, and then they will uh, possess people in order to continue their addiction. So um, just bars uh, in general are places to be aware. You better uh, be careful. Uh, would be the advice there uh, because there are ghosts hanging around uh, probably in a lot of bars and uh, crack houses, this kind of thing. Um, uh, sites of airplane crashes where, especially where a lot of people have died. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, you can do really good long distance cycle pump work there. And I mentioned the Indonesian tsunami and uh, earthquake sites. Some of my most amazing journeys were to the Haiti earthquake sites, and um, where you know total buildings had collapsed or schoolhouses had collapsed and just killed a lot of people. You know, at once, suddenly, unexpectedly, traumatically. And uh, this whole idea of trauma, you know, we, we spend a lot of time with PTSD uh, in, in ordinary life, but PTSD also occurs in the afterlife. So uh, that's why I say you know, we have to do psychotherapy for the dead to heal them of this trauma. So. You know, one good uh, piece of advice for a cycle pump would be to learn about trauma, <laughs> you know, and that from a psychological point of view, how to deal with trauma and heal it and help people get over it. So, Is there anything yeah. else that you would say in, in closing here today about, about cycle pump or anything you would just like to leave as kind of a parting message for listeners? Uh, what... I think the best thing you could do is just study study death, and we we need to not only de detabooize it, you know, bring it. We need to be able to talk about death around the dinner table. That's kind of like the <clears throat> the way I like to put it sometimes. And don't make you know, it's not a. We automatically think it's a bummer, right? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but really, it's a birth. It's a birth to a new life. And, you know, we can celebrate the loss. I mean, I'm not saying we shouldn't. You know, we're going to miss the people we love when they die. But why not celebrate their birth to a new life? Why not have a birthday party at a funeral? You know, have the funeral, then have a birthday party. You know, and who knows that person may still be hanging around. You know, so we celebrate births. Why do we, you know, get all hung up and bummed out about death? I mean, you know, yeah, I was, uh, for a year when I was working with my church, I worked in hospice care. And when I got that assignment, I did, oh, no, you know, I got to hang around dead people. <laughs> but that was the, one of the most amazing experiences I ever had with de- just getting to talk to these people who are on their last, literally their last breaths. I mean, I'd come in the next week and the person I talked to the week before was gone. But just realizing how much grace and beauty there can be in a death and to celebrate it as a as a, a new leg on a on a journey a new journey new leg on a journey that well will last forever i guess but um, why not celebrate death not you know i just and I know it's a bizarre idea, but I would just kind of like to see that. Well, it's a lovely idea, and it's a lovely one to, to close with here today. David, thank you for your work, and, and thank you for joining us here today on the show. My pleasure. And those of you who might want to reach David in Montana, he is at wildlife at blackfoot.net. So I'd like to give thanks to all of our helping spirits who help us learn these things again and again. I give thanks to the ancestors who've gathered around us, the earth below and the sky above and the heart that unites us all. I just want to remind everyone about the new event, the Shift Network's um, 
Shamanism Global Summit that will happen August 4th through 6th. The event um, is uh, has no fee, but I believe you'll need to register, and we will be publishing a link through which you can register soon. Um, it will be on the website at Last Mass Center and also at Why Shamanism Now uh, Facebook page. So um, the new event coming up for the summertime. So once again, thank you, everyone, and have a good week.